0: Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Uh, my name is Tim. And hold on while I get organized up here. So I'm on uh, pastoral staff here at Hillcrest. I uh, count it a privilege to get to teach. And we... Uh, this morning we're going to teach for a bit and then uh, kind of an extended reflection and then we 're going to move into a time of communion or Lord 's Supper or Eucharist uh, together as part of our worship together this morning. Uh, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and this morning, uh, the part of the creed that we're on, I think we have a, a there we go, a slide with it. Um, we are on the middle. Of the there yes thank you uh, the suffered part so it's this middle section is about Jesus Christ and the part we're going to talk about today is how Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended to the dead and on the third day he rose again now there's a few parts in there that when you read that or hear that you might they might pop out to you so first of all there's this Pontius Pilate. Which, think about that for a second. How weird is it that this random, obscure Roman prefect, his name is repeated every day around the world for millennia, right? Okay, so first of all, he, what, Pontius Pilate, for sure, historical, real person. Here's a, um, his name was engraved in this stone at Caesarea. They found it this last century, really interesting. But, but Pontius Pilate, I mean, how many other Roman prefects do you know by first and last name? Right? I mean, think about, you know, 2,000 years from now, people are repeating Jay Inslee's name around the world as part of some. You know, it's kind of random. Like, Paul, how do you get in there? Right? So, other random things in this section that we got. There's this whole reference to descended to the dead. How many people have ever heard that translated differently? Sometimes tr- descended into hell. Have you heard the bar? So um, there, there's this whole, you should look up medieval art on descended into hell. It's fascinating. Let me show you this icon. The, about Jesus breaking down the doors of hell and setting people free. Check out the little dude under the doors. Like he's just storming hell. I love it. You can, I mean, there you can entertain, just Google descended into hell. Um, but we're not going to focus on that today. Then there's this other part. <laughs> you're like, but why not? But there's this other part, um, this whole rose again, right? Rose again on the third day part. You hear that. And now, if you're, a, if you're a Jesus person, you've been a Christian, for. that's probably the part that doesn't stick out, right? You're like, oh, yeah, resurrection. You're, you're raised. But if you're, if you're a skeptic here today and you're like, okay, I can believe there's a Pontius Pilate guy and I can believe Jesus really died, but rose from the dead? That's weird, there's this, uh, this, this kind of skeptical New Testament scholar at the beginning of the century um, who said it about this, said it this way. I think we have a quote here. We cannot use electric lights and radios and in the event of illness avail ourselves of modern medical and clinical means and at the same time believe in the spirit and wonder world of the New Testament. I mean, we can't be modern people and believe that someone rose from the dead, right? I mean, we have radios. <laughs> But there's, but if you're, but if you're not, if you if if you're not a person who said I, like this, like someone wrote, really someone rose from the dead, and sometimes, because I think there's a lot of people, especially in the Western world, the secular West, that say how could we, how can you affirm resurrection? Of these wild beliefs. Why can't you just say there's a higher power and it's kind of mysterious? But like, drop the specific, the specific assertions about things like the resurrection of Jesus in history. But the thing is we can't. We can't drop it. And in fact, there, the, the Pontius Pilate, that f- assertion is tied directly to Rose on the third day because they're both historical. Like Christianity at its core is not say it's the, the Christianity is not saying, hey, some people that got together and sat in a room and philosophized and came to these kind of, you know, these. Uh, ...these conclusions about universal reality. That's not what Christianity is asserting. Christianity is asserting something happened. There's a data point, an event, a fact. And now we have to reorient our lives around it. We have to make sense of it. The, the, The central assertion is that this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth... ...claimed to be Messiah and King of the world... ...died and rose... From the dead. So I want to look this morning with you at a text that talks about this. That captures a lot of the language of the creed. In fact, probably the creed was based on uh, partly this text. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to invite you to turn there now if you'd like to follow along in your Bible. 1 Corinthians, it's after Romans. It's in the New Testament way to the right. Before uh, 2 Corinthians. And uh, this is just this is a, a leader in the Jesus movement, Paul, and he's writing to friends in Corinth, a, a city in Greece. And this is written probably in the mid fifties, maybe around the year fifty five A.D. So about two decades, uh, maybe twenty five years after the, uh, the the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is not two hundred years later. This is just a couple decades. After Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul's writing to these Jesus followers in Corinth. And I want to kind of talk through this uh, with us now. 1 Corinthians 15. He begins, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. We'll pause there uh, for a second. So Paul, he's talking about gospel. Now, I want to talk about the word gospel with you for a second. We hear gospel today, and frankly, I think we hear it in a, uh, well, it sounds like a religious term, right? Don't you associate gospel with Christian religion? Yes, Christian religion. But in Paul's day, there was no gospel music. There was no, like, gospel was not a religious term. Gospel was a, it was a public political term. Gospel, you could also translate it good news. So the picture you're meant to have in mind is imagine... Um, imagine uh, like a herald riding into town on a horse, coming into the public square and announcing a victory. Like, the, uh, like we are, our army has won a victory over the enemies. A victory or a new king. That, uh, so may, the, the, the person on the horse rides in and says, we have won the victory or, hey, the new king has arisen to the throne. Good news. I have good news to announce to you. Paul is saying, remember the good news, the public social news I announce to you, that there is a victory, a new king. And this is the news that rescues, that saves you. So he starts by saying, uh, remember the gospel, the good news. And then uh, in verse 3, we're going to go back to the text here. Verse 3, he goes on. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Pause there just for a second. This is the kind of thing that might slip past. Paul, when he says, what I received, I passed on to you. He's not saying, so I heard about this thing. And, uh, you know, I heard about it. And I'm just going to tell you about the thing that I heard about. This this is technical. What I received, I passed, is technical language. Uh, Paul was trained in the world of Jewish rabbis in the first century. This is technical language from the Jewish educational system. The Jewish teachers, they would pass on core teaching to their students. The students would receive that by writing it down and most likely memorizing it. And when those students became teachers, they too would pass it on to future students who would receive it. It's technical language. Paul's saying, I officially, formally received. Receive this information, wrote it down, memorized it. Now I'm officially, formally passing it on to you. And what is this information that he's passing on? He continues on. Uh, verse 3 continues. For what I received I pass on to you is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the 12 cephas is another is a nickname for peter so he, he's reminding them once again he's reminding them of the gospel the announcement of victory the new king and he says the gospel is that christ died was buried rose again and appeared according to the scriptures. This is Paul's summary of the gospel. Now, why I think this is important is because I think this is different in important and significant ways. Than how sometimes in the, in the Christian world today we summarize the gospel. Because the question is, what is The gospel. Paul's saying this is the gospel. This is the announcement of the victory of the new king. And it's different than sometimes I think the way we summarize it. Let me give you an example. Um, Sometimes I think we hear the gospel in terms like this. Here's me. And I am separated from God. And I want to get right with God, I want to feel right with God, I want to be forgiven with God, and I, and I want to have eternal life with God. And so Jesus comes in and builds a bridge with the cross, now I can get across it and I can be with God forever. And this is what I would call a me-centered version of the Gospel now, I want to be careful here i 'm not saying that, that, that i 'm not saying the, the, there 's truth in this you do get forgiven when you trust in Jesus. you do get eternal life when, when you do get the promise of eternal life when you trust in Jesus however this what it does is it takes certain benefits of the Gospel and cuts off all other sorts of important stuff. it reduces it truncates it, and so it becomes really kind of centered on me and what it does for me. Um, it can become quite private. It can become individual, divid <laughs> individual, um, and kind of, kind of uh, just in the religious sphere alone. This is this me-centered gospel, and that's Paul saying the gospel is bigger than that. This, the gospel isn't about me. The gospel is about Jesus being king of the world. That's really good news. Now, it has implications for me, but it's not about me. So instead, we get this other gospel announcement, this victory, this new king. Um, Just to kind of draw this out a little bit more. He says, okay, his gospel announcement, this announcement of victory is that Christ... Now, remember, Christ... Once again, we get the same kind of political kingdom. Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? (laughs) Christ means it comes from Messiah in Hebrew, the long-awaited descendant of David who would be king of Israel. Right? It's king language. So, I'm going to remind you that the long-awaited descendant of David who would be king of Israel died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, once again, according to the scriptures, is not the scriptures are not like little fortune cookie sayings, and a couple of them happen to have prophecies about Jesus. The scriptures for Paul was the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which you could summarize as the story of the God who made the whole world healing and blessing the world through his people Israel. So when it says that the king of Israel died according to Scripture. The king of Israel died according to, fulfilling, completing, bringing to a climax this whole story of the God who loves and created this world, who said he was going to bless and redeem it through his people, Israel. The, 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 the king has finally arrived and brought it all together. And so it's this, it's this, um, the way, so what, you know, what, what Paul's saying here, kind of to, to pull out his language, he's saying, I want to remind you. ...of the announcement... I, ...you know, I'm like the herald that rolled into town on the public square... ...and I want to announce a victory, a new king... ...and the announcement was the God who made this whole place... ...and said he was going to redeem and heal and bless it through his people Israel... ...the final and ultimate king of Israel has finally arrived... ...and he died and was buried and rose and appeared... ...according to all to pull together this whole story of blessing... ...the healing of the world that God promised. And so you could say it, you could draw it something like this... ...that... Um, that God made this world, and you know there's all sorts of you know there's people on the world, and um the, there are these you you 'd say these foreign invaders sin, death, Satan, that were uh, attacking this world, pew pew, pew. and um and <laughs> And um, God, these, these exes, these are, God said these exes, these are Israelites. I'm going to have this people that blesses the world. But they themselves got caught up in this whole sin, death, Satan thing. So Jesus, the final king and representative of Israel, comes down and with red defeats. He defeats sin, death, and Satan on the cross. And what, what happens is, is in, the ancient, in the ancient Near East, when a king... When a, a king was the embodiment of the king 's people, a king was the representative of the people, the embodiment of the people. So if a king was insulted, who was insulted? The people. If the king won a victory, who won a victory? The people. And so in a sense it 's like when, that all those who are, in, who are under jesus 's kingship, they too receive his victory his defeat of sin, his defeat of death, his defeat of the evil powers. And so what, what, um, what happened is that, that Jesus said, hey, he's this king who won this victory over sin, these ultimate things that threaten humans in the world. And then the question was, uh, the question was, do you want to be part of his kingdom people? Do you want to be part of his kingdom people? And some of the the Israelites, some of the Jews said, actually, no, I, I'm not going to, I don't think you're actually king. But then also... They went around the world, these followers of Jesus went around the world, announcing that there's a new king, this king, Jesus has won this victory. And all sorts of other people said, actually, yeah, we do. Your king sounds a lot better than the kings we've currently got. We're in with you. People joining this kingdom community. And you would do it by, well, you join the kingdom community, not by ethnicity, not by earning your way in, but by what? Declaring allegiance, a.k.a., Faith. I have faith. I I commit my trust in you. It's not anything I do. It's not my ethnicity. It's not all this good stuff I do. I simply declare allegiance. I place my trust, my faith in you, King Jesus. Now, this gospel is about Jesus. It has implications for us, but ultimately it's about him. Him as the rightful king of the world coming back and defeating the powers that threaten his world. And um, now you know, you're know, you like, Tim, what you, uh. maybe you're thinking, Tim, you're kind of, what is this all about? Where are you going with all this? This is what I want to say. I think this has super important implications for how we go about this thing called Christianity. Because How... What we think the gospel is, what we think the center of it is, it plays out in all sorts of ways in our life, right? Because, because if this is the center of things, it can be private and individual. There's this danger, if you think it's just about me and Jesus, that it's just, it's just I can do this on my own. In this gospel, what are we going to we'll call this? Uh, we'll call this the kingdom gospel. This, it's fundamentally communal, right? You, when, you, when you place your faith in Jesus, you join his kingdom people. You can't—it's inseparable. You're part of a kingdom people. There's no individual, private, do-it-by-myself. To trust in Jesus as king is to be part of his kingdom people. That's why things like church is an, a, a, a critical part of being a follower of Jesus. Because this is not an organization that distributes religious goods and services. This is a kingdom outpost of kingdom citizens declaring the victory of Jesus in the world. Right? Yes. We are a group of kingdom citizens that gathers together, reminding one another of allegiance of Jesus and, and living out his victory on a daily basis. And that's why it's the, the church and, and living out community and knowing one another, being in small groups and serving together. That's just, that's, it's inseparable. That's what you do. You're a kingdom citizen. It's, so this is, this. yes, has personal implications, but it also has communal implications. It's, um, what else? I would say this has uh, what you might call followership built right into it. One of the distortions, one of the possible distortions, if you do kind of a me-centered gospel, one of the possible distortions is that it's kind of like I've forgiven now and I'm just kind of hanging out and trying not to commit murder until I, you know, eventually get to eternal life or something, right? This is like, well, you're part of a kingdom. That has implications. We live under a king. Our kingdom has a culture, our kingdom has norms, our kingdom has a way of life, and it's going to impact how we treat people, how we treat our families, our friends, what kind of vocations we pursue, how we live out those vocations, what we do with our money, what we do with our time, how we think about politics, how we think about—it's going it's to have all these different implications in it. That, uh, I would say discipleship becomes inseparable— from being a Christian. It's just built right in because we've, we're, we're joining a kingdom community, right? It's not, it's, discipleship isn't an optional add-on. And, and, it's, and it's actually, that's actually really, really good news because here's the thing, and I think maybe even in the ancient world, people got this more than we do intuitively now. Everybody has a king. Everyone has someone or something they declare allegiance to. They're given their life to. Now in the ancient world, they got that very much. In the ancient world, they got Jesus is the king who suffers and dies for us. Who has good news for all people. That I want to be part of his kingdom. I know I'm going to have to be part of some kingdom. I want to be set free. That's the kind of kingdom I want to be part of. Now, today, we, because we think we live in these kind of the individual free choice. We get to determine everything for ourselves, world. But actually, we all serve some kind of king. And it's good when Jesus says, I want to be the king that shapes your entire life. That's really good, good news. And so it's, it's, um, it's, it's communal, it's corporate, it's... it's discipleship, and it has to do with the here and and now, because kind of another, like another danger is that this is just, me-centered is just religious, it's just kind of a ticket to eternal life, I'll cash it in when, you know, when my time here is done. But this, this has implications, like we are advancing Jesus's kingdom mission with our lives, here and now. Like it has... It doesn't just have religious implications. It does. We announce, hey, you can spiritually have this connection with Jesus. But it also has social, public implications. Because he's, kingdom. he's king over the whole world. And so as has implications that, yes, yes, we preach forgiveness. But we also preach uh, solidarity with the poor. Yes, we preach presence of God. But we also preach caring for kids who don't have parents. Yes, we preach that we come and we can relate to the living God of the universe. And we also preach generosity with our finances that undoes unfair power structures in the world. We, the, his kingship doesn't just touch kind of the religious spiritual parts of our lives. His kingship, like it's something that we can give our entire lives to advancing and unpacking his kingdom victory in the world. That's good news. Every aspect of our lives, he says, I want to infuse it with me, my kingdom meaning, and my kingdom purpose. I I like, I get excited about this stuff. And then Paul uh, comes back again and... And then in verse 6, just to kind of pull, the pas- pull kind of wrap the passage back again, he reminds his uh, readers, his listeners, just how historically rooted this is. And I'll just read the last couple lines here. Because he said, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. We're talking about the resurrected Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he says in verse 6, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul's reminding them, this, is, this, I didn't just, this isn't just something I theorized to. This happened, this happened, this happened. And this is just a couple decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. He says, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the the 12. He appeared to more than 500 men and women at the same time. He appeared to James, Jesus' brother, who didn't even believe Jesus was the Messiah while Jesus was alive and now is a leader in the church. He says, and most of these people are still alive. You go talk to them if you want. Go, go. Some of them will probably drop through town pretty soon because they're leaders in the church. Ask them about it. These are eyewitnesses. They're still alive. Ask them. Because for Paul, this is something that happened. That he now has to wrap his mind and life around. An event. A fact. A data point. That changes everything for him. And he comes to his friends in Corinth. He writes to them. And he says. He says this. I want to remind you. Of the announcement of victory. The announcement of the new king that I told you. I want to remind you of that. That the long awaited. Descendant of David. King of Israel arrived. That this king died. Was buried. Rose again and appeared. Pulling together. Culminating the whole story. Of the God who made this place. And is redeeming this place through Israel. And it's this announcement of victory. That your hope rests in that your rescue rests in hold on to it this is we are kingdom people and so when we when we say the apostles creed together i would just encourage us to say say it with this uh, kingdom gospel in mind and don't like try don't when we say the apostles creed over the coming weeks don't like think about the the possible distortions of the me center gospel and try and push those out, say it with the kingdom gospel, because this, the kingdom language is throughout. Pontius Pilate, this historical language, and then in fact, next week, kind of the next part of the creed has all this kingly language in it. Jesus is on the throne. He has this kingly right to come back and judge, and next week, Christian's going to explain everything that means to us, right? You're on that. Awesome. I can't wait. But the, what is it, because there's questions. How, what does it mean that Jesus is still king of the world? How does that work with the presence of evil? And, and we're going we're to unpack some of that next week to continue on the series. All right, so um, one way that we can respond to this is uh, the receiving of communion. Let me just talk about communion for a brief moment here. Um. Communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, is this meal that Jesus instituted right before his death to remind his followers of his death, his his kingdom inaugurating death. And so we as followers of Jesus, we come back to communion on a regular basis. And and you can think of it, there's, there's different ways to think of it, but we can think of it as this it's like if, if being part of his kingdom means pledging allegiance to him, declaring faith and trust in him, when we come to communion, it's like we—it's like singing our national anthem. It's like slaying the pledge of allegiance over again. This is, I'm in. This is where my trust is. And, but I would even push it, it's even more personal than that. The, the, the vision that came to my mind this week is in a sense, it's kind of like renewing our vows. When... Um, when a, when, a, when a couple's been together for a number of years, uh, if they've been together long enough, there's been moments where they've renewed their vows. And when I say that, I don't mean just like, you know, some people have like another kind of wedding ceremony where they kind of formally renew their vows. I don't just mean that. What I mean is when, when, when a couple's been together long enough, there come moments where you're forced to re-up your promises I can uh, think about, I think about Christy and I, and there was a season maybe about a decade ago, and we were, we were um, facing a moving decision, and it was a pretty significant one, and, uh, and she wanted to move one way, and I wanted to move the other way. And we got in this situation where it was kind of digging your heels in. Like, I, I don't, if you're going to keep pulling that direction, I'm going to pull the other direction. And kind of pulling apart from one another. I don't, I want to go here. And, you know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do, and this pulling apart. And I can remember it was a, just a random weeknight evening. I don't know. It was like a Tuesday at 830 or something. We sit down on the couch and this, this conversation comes up. And we're talking about it. And our conversation came to a point where we, like there was a turning point where we looked at one another and said, you know what? I want you to know I'm 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 with you. And yes, I have these hopes and desires and these things I don't want to be disappointed in, but but I I say it again, I'm willing to lay that all down. I'm I'm with you. You're more important than what I want. I'm committed to you first and foremost and these other hopes and desires second. And we we both said it to one another. I uh, yeah, and I'm with you. You're number one. And this is hard right now. But we're going to figure it out. Because we are together. And it was a Tuesday night at 830. But later on I was telling this story to a friend. And my friend said to me, Oh, you, you renewed your vows. You re-upped on your promises. I'm with you. You're number one. I'm going to lay these other things down. And when we come to the table... We re-up on our vows. We say again to Jesus, Jesus, I'm with you. The hopes around, the, the circumstances change throughout our lives. My hopes have changed. The challenges have changed. The decisions have changed. But Jesus, I'm with you. You're number one. I'm committed to you. I don't always know what it means, but I'm not going anywhere. Jesus, I'm still in. And so, as we come forward today to the table, I would encourage you to take a moment, maybe before you come forward, maybe after you partake in communion, but to say it again: Jesus, I'm with you. Uh, the way. Let me just talk logistically. This is how we'll do. This is how we do communion here at uh, Hillcrest. Actually, I'll invite the servers to come forward. Can those who are serving um, come up now? So we'll have, and you can grab your, uh, you can grab the bread and the cup and take it to where you're going. We're gonna have, um, there's three stations in back and three in the front. Uh, the 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 one the center station in back is the gluten free station. You can leave this one right here. Just yep, no, this one goes in back. There you go. No, it's good. It's all good. Yep. Um, so the uh, the center station in the back is the gluten free station. And then there's two here, and then there's also this center station with the, uh, the, the, the 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 little cup things, <laughs> um, and. Um But when you're in a moment, I'll pray and you're welcome to form lines when you're ready. You'll come forward um, and the server will say something like the body of Christ given for you. And you can take a piece of the bread and then the one with the cup will say the blood of Christ was shed for you. You can dip it in the cup and take of it uh, before heading back to your seats. And this is for all those who declare Jesus to be their king and rescuer. All those who do that are invited to come forward. Um, and this is where we uh, we say, yes, I'm in again. And and maybe there's someone here who's never done this. And maybe today is the day where you're like, I actually want to be part of Jesus' kingdom community. And if that's you, we would invite you to come forward for the first time. And to take the bread and dip it in the cup and say, Jesus, I'm in with you. I want you to be my king. Let me read um, the words... Uh, from this last supper. And then I'll pray. And you're welcome to come forward. So this is from the same letter Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth. It was er- earlier on. He wrote these words in chapter eleven twenty three. 23. He says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That sounds familiar. The Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed. Took bread. And when he had given thanks. He broke it and said. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, "This is the this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the kingdom covenant. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the King's death, until he comes. Jesus, uh, we do thank you. Um, you our King and Rescuer, one who is better than we could imagine, better than we deserve. And we come here to the table this morning, not because we've earned it, uh, because you've gifted it. You've gifted us life in your kingdom now and into eternity. And for that, we thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.